Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. Uh, got a fun podcast today with one of our Patreons, friend of the show, big buck killer, Jeremy Caparetta. Met him a couple times. Uh, one of these guys where you get to meet in person, have a few beers with, um, and where you just kind of click. So uh, just getting on here to talk about how hunting used to be, kind of the gear that we went, uh, what we started hunting with, and uh, that sort of thing. Fun podcast. I know you guys are going to like it, especially some of you young guys or new hunters that don't uh, know what a DVD is from the last podcast or, uh, you know, haven't... Uh, hunted from a climber or ever bent an aluminum arrow um this will be interesting for you and then for you older guys uh it's gonna make you smile and think back to the other things that uh like how we had it growing up uh such a such a fun time but uh from the the patreon side of it uh this is the last week to get signed up for uh this quarters uh, quarters coming to an end and uh, we're going to do those quarterly giveaways and man we're giving away a ton of stuff Huntworth giving away a uh, uh, hunting suit uh, zinger and Kanadi arrows are giving away a set of arrows I'm going to cut mine tomorrow I was supposed to do that last week but it didn't work out so going to the shop going to uh, get those arrows cut down tomorrow to shoot this week and those are going on pre-sale next week. So, uh, Kanadi arrows, zingers, and they're freaking amazing, uh, straightness. You know, these guys, they're doing all of this hand straightening, hand spine testing by hand. Uh, I can't imagine. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And that's just one 
of the you know zingers the Huntworth we're giving away a big shot target uh Brandon uh so they sent us our targets and uh, very impressed very very impressed and uh they're giving away like I said last podcast uh the armadillo so one of our favorite targets from tack a uh, nice 70 yard shot on the armadillo uh so they're giving away that uh lucky buck again with their either lucky buck or their seed vitalized seeds giving away some of their spring mix so get that in the in the ground uh bring in the deer bring in the turkeys and set your soil up for the fall and Spartan Forge gives away one of their year premium memberships. And as always, you can go online, SpartanForge.ai, and use code BOWHUNTER. You save 25% off of one of those year subscriptions. Um, you know, all of those things we're giving away, and we give those away four times a year. So Patreon.com forward slash BOWHUNTER Chronicles Podcast. We've got our one-shot group, uh, Stan in Washington, one last or two weeks ago, and this week was Alex Dodds out of Iowa. Uh, so I got packages going out to those guys, getting the shirts sent out to the new Patreons. Uh, next week, we are doing everything we can to give back to the people that support the show. We appreciate every single one of you. We try and do as much as we can. Looking forward to tack and the barbecue, all of that stuff that we do up there. And already gearing up for the Patreon hunt this fall. So all that stuff um, is just kind of what we try to do for, you know, like I say, the people that support us, the people that support the show. Can't thank you enough. Really appreciate it. And everybody else, if that's not your thing, not a big deal. Just tell somebody else about the show. And as always, thanks for listening. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast and uh, got another podcast here with, uh, it's like one of these guys that you meet and uh, he ends up, you know, he's got the, he's got the shirt on. He's one of the, one of our Patreons now, um, but we met him uh, at the ATA show a couple of years ago uh, and then I ran into him. He was down at the uh, uh, Mobile Hunters Expo down in Ohio this year with uh, Aaron Ritter, so He's, I guess he, we could say he's part of Aaron Ritter's entourage, but we'll yeah. maybe maybe yep. give Jeremy a little bit more credit. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy Cavaretta, uh, how are you doing tonight, Jeremy? Good, buddy. How you doing? Not bad. Not bad. I'm waiting for this weather to turn the corner. I did find my first shed uh, of the year, got out and did some scouting and picked up a couple of trail cameras. And yeah, I'm I'm just waiting for the for the warmer weather. So I went the other day to go drive up. There's a, um, probably a five and a half, six and a half year old buck. I've been after it's on public land, not far from my house. I go up there the other day, just drive up there. There's still two feet of snow. You can't even get down the roads because we had a big snow snowstorm. We got like three feet just a couple weeks ago. So it's still like two feet up there. You can't even get back there. So it snowed after they dropped. So you got to wait for the snow to go to find them. So give us a little bit of background. Like, what's what's your story um as far as like uh hunting and and all that hunting so uh i grew up 
probably, I don't know, five years old going to the woods with my father. My father was a big hunter. Um, he was like the president of our fishing game club. He gave, you know, half our town to their bull hunter education courses. He taught that. Um, I just posted a picture not too long ago from like 1983. We had our first 3D shoot at our hometown club. And that's the first time that uh, like real 3D targets were in the area. It just came out, you know, they looked like crap. But uh, you see, if you ever, if you looked at that picture, you see me like I'm five years old, my bow and arrow sitting up front next to these old targets. There's a turkey, a bear and a deer, and there's a good write up. But that was the first big 3D thing. You ever hear Oneida Eagle? Oh, yeah. The bows. Okay. So that's my hometown area. Right down the road is where they came, Oneida, New York. So the archer shop I grew up in, my father's best friend had one and I was there. We were there all the time and he was an Oneida dealer because Oneida was right down the road. So anytime we had these shoots, Oneida Eagle would come and they'd have all bows to demo and uh, sit there and work on other people's bows. So almost, most of the people had Oneida Eagles back then in our area. So I started out doing that some, from that age. Um, he would teach a hunter safety course. And I would actually, from like probably seven years old and older, um, they would do the bucket of sand, like a five gallon bucket of sand. They'd have somebody come with like a 30 odd six and, and shoot through the bucket, try to shoot through the bucket of sand and a bullet wouldn't go through. And then I come up eight years old, pull back with a bra head on and I would shoot and the arrow would go through the bucket of sand just to show how devastating a, a arrow, how lethal an arrow is compared to a bullet. Um, so I grew up doing that. Um, you're in New York, you have to be 14 in order to hunt with statute of limitations and my father's passed away. So, um, I started hunting at 12. He was an instructor. So he lied, uh, two years. I'm born in 78, but the license said I was born in 76. So I killed my first deer at 12. My license said I was 14. Um, and in New York, you can't hunt with a gun till you're 16. So I was hunting with a gun at 14. And then once I turned, actually turned 16, he changed the date of birth back the next time. Cause there's no databases of how they kept the licenses back then. And, uh, switched it back to, to 78. And then I started hunting through there, but, uh, you know, was, was it wrong? Yeah. But I look back and, and that's kept me out of trouble, you know, being a captain of, uh, some teams and sports and, you know, always being a starting player and we go to parties and it'd be eight 30. I'd leave because it's more important for me to wake up and go hunting with my dad than it was to sit there and party and get in trouble. I went through freaking tons of girlfriends growing up because of that. I would just go home. I just would ditch them be like, Oh, I got to wake up, go hunting. Uh, never did a drug in my life. Uh, didn't drink till I was 21. Um, and I was all because of sports and, and hunting. That was the two things that drove me as a kid. And, uh, and I just stayed with it. I, like I said, then my father got an archery shop years later and I was grew up in that archery shop and I would come home on leave in the military for Thanksgiving because I never had to compete with anybody. Everybody wanted Christmas and new years. So I take Thanksgiving it's hunting season. I get the last few days of bow season and the first few days of gun season and then then get shipped back overseas. But I come home, grab a bow off the shelf, you know, someone that somebody traded in. I grab it off the shelf, go down the range, uh, sight it in, and then take that hunt with it for a few days. I'm done. I put it back on the shelf. I come home the following year. I just grab whatever bow is on the shelf again. And uh, I did that all the way till I got out of the military. So with the, like, one of the things that we want to talk about, because you, you and I go back and forth about, like, all the old 
school uh, equipment and all that. But when you said that about like the databases, right? Um, I don't know what the New York licenses were like, but I remember like here in Michigan, like when I, cause we could bow hunt when we were 12 and then it was gun hunting at 14. But I remember going like, so we had the back tags they had to put on your back. Yep, we still do. We but still I remember do. going to the hardware store and you, and it was like the old dingy, you know, like straight out of like a horror movie, yep. you know, one yeah. halogen light in the place. And you'd be like, okay, I want to buy my hunting license. And they'd take this big book out from underneath the thing and they'd open it up and they just thumb to a page that didn't have a, you know, that was the next license to tear out and you'd pay them your money and they just tear it off. Yep. And, you know, you had the big giant safety pin deal to go on your back with your, yeah. with your license. And like when I first started hunting, I think the first year I hunted deer, I had like my grand, it might've been my dad's, but I just feel like it was my grandpa that smelled old, <laughs> um, like the old red wool suit, you know, like the, yep, the yep. zip up. Checkered or red checkered. No, mine was just solid red. And oh, uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yep. Just because you had to have, it wasn't even Hunter's Orange at that time. It was either red or orange. Mm -hmm. So I had an orange, yep. like a like Robin Hood style hat, you know, with that like pointy in the front with fold up around and that was just that that was the hunting style there but when you said that about like no records it was like there was a literally a book and so everybody must have just got a, a book of different numbered tags and that that's what you ended up with yeah there was no way of knowing i mean you would take your hunter safety card you would take that there but who's not people were getting those and just printing them off <laughs> just fake sign them and give you one and then you just go there they don't know you know i know people back before this is going back probably once they started keeping in the computer um they they just started computer you could literally go to walmart and be like yeah what do you want i want my archery and they're like okay they don't know they're just some somebody who lives out in town don't know nothing about hunting they don't know you gotta look they just people have gone and got their boats they never took the bow course and they got their archery license because they never asked for anything. They just gave it to them. It's different now, but that's how it was when it first started. So what's the um, the hunting culture like in New York? Because everybody, I think when you think of New York, and you know, we've got listeners in New York, but like you think of like New York City or like, you know, like not rural, not a, not a hunting style area. So what is the hunting culture like in New York? Well, where I'm from, I'm born and raised in, in central New York. Now I live in upstate New York. So I'm by Albany. So like we're three and a half hours from the city. So where we are, I mean, it's all woods. Like I live, the Adirondacks are right here in the Catskills. They're two huge mountain ranges. Like the Adirondacks, we have we have the most state land, I believe it is in the, in the United States, is in New York. The Adirondacks is the biggest state park or whatever. Um, thousands of acres. I mean, you go straight into Canada and get lost. I mean, you get lost in New York and end up in Canada. Um, that's how big it is. And then the Catskills are right to um, the east of us. So I'm right in between these two big mountain ranges. Uh, where I grew up hunting, it's big here too, but where I grew up, central New York, that's where most of your farms are, agriculture. Like I grew up, you know, haying on a farm and 
working around farms. So there's a lot of uh, bow hunting's really big out there. It's big here too, but um, this is more kind of rural hunting right here. I mean, there are, you know, a couple thousand acres of state land real close to me, uh, but most of it is small. It's public land, but it's in within the city. You know, there's like little chunks of 20 acres here, 10 acres there, and it's all archery only in these areas. So there's a bunch of that around. And it, big deer get killed there, but New York's big deer are different than, uh, you know, the Midwest big deer. So what's the, like, um, the hunting style? Like, when you were growing up, like, what what was the, like, your go-to? Like, the like first time I ever went hunting, it was, like, drive up, get some carrots, go set your stand up, throw a bunch of carrots out. I mean, that was Michigan at the time, right? Yeah, New York, there's no, there's no baiting, there's no minerals you can't do. You can't do any of that cheating in New York. You got to actually outsmart the deer here. <laughs> so, no, we, uh, the, the, the first time I started hunting is funny. So first time I started, you ever remember the old, um, international scouts? They're almost like a Bronco Yep. back oh, yeah. in the day. So my father's, my father's best friend who's straight from Italy broke, spoke broken English. That was my father's, their best friends. They worked in the factory together and I'm in the back of that scout and we woke up. It was like four o'clock in the morning. We're leaving. We drive like 40 minutes. And uh, I couldn't tell you what town we were in or anything. I get out of the truck. Uh, just a few days before that, my father taught me how to climb with the old Baker tree stand in the backyard. So we climb. Actually, no, I believe it was on our telephone pole in the front yard. Is what I practiced on. Taught me how to climb and everything. And uh, the next couple of days later, so we're hunting the first time. Minnis Scout. We get to the place and uh, we get out. I got that tree stand on my back, and I was so small because I was actually twelve that the the board would hit the back of my calves. So I had to lean forward to walk and we walk, we'd park in and walk all the way down this road, like a quarter mile back the way we came. Cause he didn't want anybody to know where he was hunting. Every, you know, my fire killed some nice deer. So we'd park a quarter mile down the road, walk all the way back up the road, then go into the woods. And, uh, I put the tree stand around, I climb up and I'd only get 10, 12 feet, just enough that he could, stand up and raise my bow up to me and I'm I get down on my knees and I reach down and I grab my bow and I get up there and I'm not, I have no seat no bow holder and he just goes stay here till I come get you and then he just leaves I don't know where we walked in no anything he wouldn't come get me till noon I'd stand there I'm holding the, the bow by the top cam and the bottom cam's on my boot <laughs> no no seat nothing would clothes that don't fit me, they were his. My boots, I didn't have winter boots, so I had old winter boots of his, and they were too big. So they were, like, taped on. The pants, I couldn't button them or zip them. I had a belt and I had to cross them. I had this belt to draw it tight because, you know, my father's cheap. He didn't buy me nothing. And all my bow at the time, like, they, I won so many shoots, but they were like, you're going to shoot your ear off because I shot fingers. Although I shot fingers up to 2009. So I pulled a bow back and it being so far back, but I, I killed deer and everything with it. Um, he wouldn't even get me a bow that fits me. That was a bow my older brother had. Everything just kept getting passed down, you know? So uh, safety harness at that time? No. <laughs> when I first started? Yeah. No, he put me up there. He's only 10 feet. He's a kid. But after he gave me one, once I was able to climb up higher, but it wasn't like you think. It was just literally a belt that went around your waist no harness. It was just like a single seatbelt strap around your waist. And then you had a round metal D ring 
or around just a round ring actually like that, that fed through your belt. And then that fed through the belt on the tree. So you could turn and the, the belt would slide in that, in that big round ring against the tree. And that's all you had. You lean out a little bit. You're kind of, kind of stuck against the tree a little bit. You could let some slack out, but um, yeah, that's what you had. And then later you find out that if you were to fall and had that on, you'd freaking hang there and die because you, your body would get no circulation, but that's, that's how they did it. Yeah. That's kind of what I was getting at. It's like the, 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 the figure eight belt basically and like cut you in half if you fell off. But yeah, yeah. It was literally just two, you know, you get them with uh, some trees, you know, the one that goes around a tree, it's a, just a nylon strap that feeds through the, the little metal thing. Mm-hmm. That's what you had one in the front and you had one around the tree and then this metal ring in between the two. Just so you could turn and it would allow you to turn. And and for these these guys that are just getting into hunting or that, uh, you know, they didn't have uh, a dad or an uncle or, or anybody that, that kind of brought them up or maybe it was past that. Describe the the beauty of the uh, the Baker tree stand, like what it is compared to like what we've got today. Oh, it's crazy. I think so it was a plywood bottom and we would every year – um, my father would do it every couple of years, but I was so into, into hunting. I was like, I can't wait to make my new platform this year. And I would drill some holes and cut different V's and stuff like that. So, and then put the, uh, like indoor outdoor carpet on top of it, put the, um, like bungee corn straps, you put them on there and bolt them in. So your feet could go in and he had a strap to go behind your feet so you could climb the tree. I had a hand climber. Um, you would, it's like doing a pull up. So your feet go in these straps. And you grab this little handle that's, you know, it's in the V around the tree and it comes down. There's actually like a chin up bar and you would just sit there and lift your knees up to your chest, lock it in and move it up. And then, uh, that cost me a deer, that hand climber, cause my limb hit it one time. And so when I stopped doing that, I would just bear hug the tree and lift my knees up and I would just bear hug the tree and go up all the time. I stopped using the hand climber. It was less weight to carry in too. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of food plot seed mixes out there? Well, you are not alone. And Vitalize Seed has developed a seed program that takes the guesswork out of food plotting. Vitalize Seed has two core mixes, the Nitro Boost and Carbon Load, to keep it simple. Nitro Boost is their spring-summer food plot mix, and Carbon Load is the fall plot mix, each having a diverse mix of over a dozen different seed types that are highly attractive to whitetail. Food plotting made simple, but it gets even better. Each mix provides necessary nutrients to the soil, making for better plots each season and saving you money by needing less Roundup and less fertilizer each season. The 1-2 system simplifies your food plots just how nature intended. Vitalize Seed. Make biology work for you. Order now at vitalizeseed.com. But uh, my father, they, they designed, they were, his friend was a machinist, so he could just make anything. So they made the baker a lot better than what it was designed. So they put um, metal, they had, they had teeth. They were just straight bars, like metal that would dig in. Like they weren't serrated or nothing. So you would sit there and you could move left and right because it would, o- it would only dig in a tree this way, but you could move around because it don't, it's not sticking in a tree. And they ground these spikes in them. So you can see that still to this day, trees that we climbed are all scarred up. I mean, it'd be, you come up and it'd lock in and you'd have to really yank your knees up to get it to unlock. And the same thing in the bars that went in the back, 
they serrated those too. So they dug into the tree. So you wouldn't get that, you know, before you'd be up there, hunt all day and you'll look, you're like, you moved down this far. Like the tree stand just from, from turn around like this, it'd be a little quarter inch here and there throughout the day. You dropped like a foot in the tree. And when they put these spikes in it, um, you, you lock in that thing. Didn't freaking move at all. Yeah. These tree stands, like when, you see one at a garage sale or you see one on like Facebook marketplace and you're like, who in the world would hunt out of that? And that's like all there was. There was like what the TSS was the other one that came was out like, after. Yep. Yep. That was a little bit that was more better. modern. Yeah. Had, had the band with the holes. You pull a little thing. I, that's what I went to next. Um, but the same thing they, cause it was rubber and rubber and people were like, were going up and just falling down the tree. It was a slick tree. So the same thing, they took the rubber out, you know, the V part of the plywood and they built these serrated teeth that went in there. Mine actually had spikes. So your V, you know, your, those three quarter inch marine plywood you had and they drilled holes and they put like double headed nails in there and they stuck out like half an inch. So that freaking thing locks. That was way better than the Baker because the band would pull it tighter to the tree. You'd get less wiggle um, with that band. And the same thing, the band you would pull, they my father's buddy designed it the way they would screw in and it can't pop out on its own. You have to unscrew them to pull them out. Like he designed all that stuff, you know, himself. And uh, so then I went to the TSS, which is a lot better um, as far as climbing, but still it was a lot of people got hurt on tree stands. They were dangerous because it was just rubber. They didn't want to hurt the trees when TSS, that was their thing. It won't harm the trees. They had like these rubber grip pads. But it was, was wet, and you had a tree with real that slippery bark. People just like, I mean, just drop 10, 15 feet straight down. Yeah, we, I started out with the, I mean, my dad had a baker, but was a loggy bayou, and we took and drilled through that. And then we took some like big, like lag bolts, or they, actually, they weren't lag bolts. We kind of made our own lag bolts. We took just like a threaded uh, bolt and then ground it into like a spear point. And then put the nut on yeah. the backside of it and use that same, same, same exact thing way. we did. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Then I had, I can't remember. I had some other tree stand I bought back in probably um, 2090, late 90s, 2000. And uh, that tree stand was really nice. That was the first like sit and climb. Um, it was kind of before Summit was getting big. And I had that thing forever. Same thing. I had spikes put in it. And then 2010, uh, there's an island up here and the guy's like, Hey, you want to go scout this island out? And he has a bass boat. We went up there and I was scrapes and rubs everywhere. I go there and now with the sit climb one, I never had no safety harness at all. Like zero. <laughs> Cause you're, you're, you're like in there. Right. So I, I climb the tree on this island and I get about, I'm about 15 feet up and I go to, I sit like this and I had my bow across the rail because I forgot my rope. So I had the bow in between me and the tree and I'm climbing up and I sat and the freaking bolts broke and the top hand climber part, the sit climber breaks. I fall backwards, but my feet are stuck in my straps and I'm leaning over backwards. I don't know how I didn't break my back and I managed, good thing I'm strong enough that I was able to just like sit up, grab the side, my bow fell. I got up to the tree and I managed to grab the, bear hug the tree and get back down to the ground. And there's no phone reception. You can't even call. He's on the other side of the island. And uh, I went through my bag. I had my deer drag and stuff. My bow was okay. 
I, I took my deer drag and another rope I had. I made like a little safety harness and I climbed up with my arms up to the top of the tree. And then I saw two freaking, I don't know, probably 125, 130 inch bucks. I couldn't get a shot at. And uh, I came down the tree and I just freaking left my stand there. I was, so, it was so dangerous. And then right after that, I went like the next day and I bought a summit and uh, started wearing a, a harness the whole time I go up with a tether right after that. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. I was, and then it, they we're stuck because the freaking tide goes out, right? It's in the Hudson. So he didn't know. Tide goes out. He can't get his boat out because the water dropped. So now I'm sitting there so mad about my tree stand. It's, it got dark at like seven. It's 930. I can't call my wife. I can't call him. I'm standing on the shoreline on this island. Finally, he comes because he couldn't get the boat was beached. He couldn't get off and a tanker. Like a carrier came through, like a big shipping cargo container, and it made waves. And then he was able to rock it and then come over to me. And that was the last time I was like, I'm never hunting there again. Freaking <laughs> crazy. It was crazy. My tree stand's still on that island. So <laughs> that, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I've lost the bot. I've always climbed in the cli- climber with a with a safety harness just because when I've lost the bottom part of the climber twice, um, you know, you think you'd learn after the first time. Together. Yeah, no, no, no. I did it once. No. I was hanging from the hand climber like this. Yeah, yeah. I had to wrap my feet around a tree and I'm like, shake the shit out of it and get my legs to come down. And I'm like, it never even dawned on me that you should tie them together. Yeah. Well, because right? I always got like, it sounds like you for a while too. Like everything I got was like hand me down or like second hand or whatever. So like. It wasn't like I threw them away when I got it out of the package. It was just like, this is how I got it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you're up there and you're like, oh, it's, you know, for guys that haven't hunted out of a climber, like you have to set the the climber at the angle when you look up and you're like, okay, I think, I think this ought to do it. I think it's about like this. And then you get up there and the the platform's pointing down or you're on a knot or something. So with those sitting climbs you're like well i'll just sit here and then i'll lift up the bottom and i'll adjust it or whatever and adjust then, it yeah, yeah and then all of a sudden there it goes and you're like okay well great <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know i i feel like like i guess for you how do you feel about like if you were a a, a new hunter like starting today with all of the equipment all of the information that's out there like how different would it be for you um, today? Oh, it'd be a lot different. Um, I'd be a lot warmer. <laughs> I'd be a lot safer. Um, I mean, every every single thing now, it's so different. Just the bows alone. Back then, try, you know, shoot, you're shooting fingers. You know, most people shot fingers back when I started, and you're trying to hit a target at 30 yards with the old East, Easton, you know, XX75s, you know, 2117s. You know, shooting a big old, like, uh, you know, back then was like, we had wasp raw heads. I shot Thunderhead 100s for the longest time. That was like my go-to. Um, but yeah, you're trying to shoot fingers at 30 yards. It was it was a struggle, you know, with the bra heads. Um, but now, you know, I'm shooting out the 100. You know what I mean? Not at an animal, but I could hit a balloon at 100 yards of my bow. Back then, you crazy you're lucky you know 50 yards you go back at 50 yards is like the 100 yards now you know what i mean back then everybody let's go back to 50 you know and you'd be like trying to hit it now 50 like that's nothing let's go back to 100 120 you know 
It's funny. Yeah, it's, it's it's so different. I was at the that uh, PA show and uh, was talking with like even the guys from Zinger, Steve. You know, we're I'm taking the arrows and he, he had some that they had done up, but they were like messed up. They were just showing off the zingers, but I'm I'm spinning them across my my fingers, you know. To see if you know if there's any wobble yeah. in them or anything, see how straight they are. And he's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, uh, "I'm like, I'm like this arrow's messed up. Like, your your arrow's better than this." And he's he's like contacted his buddy who brought. He's like, "Oh yeah, those are the messed up ones. Those aren't the right. You know, those inserts are off and all this stuff. Those are just there to, you know, put put the zingers on." And I'm like, "Good, because like these are all wobbly." And he's like, "How do you know that?" And I'm like. Because that, that's what you did. And I was talking all with, the time, talking yeah. with uh, the one guy's old man, and he's like, "Yeah, we used to have an arrow straightener. You'd put it in there, and you'd you know. gauge had a little gauge. You'd roll it, and you'd see there's a little gauge. You had a needle that touched the arrow. If it went up, you sat there, and then you could pull this thing down. It would bend it back. Yeah, yeah, and and like that's what we grew up shooting. Like these carbon arrows. Like I, I remember, I was. Oh man, I must have been. I, I bought them myself, so I must have been like sixteen, seventeen, and I bought myself a set of. And, and they're not all that different than like what guys are going back to, but like the first carbon arrows that I ever saw were like some Beeman's, and they were like super thin, and then they had like that giant outsert on the front of it, and uh, I was like, man, these are so cool. They don't bend. Like you can shoot them into the dirt and you know, they, you don't have to worry about pulling them out of the target, like up or down, you know? And, uh, they didn't chew worth, worth the, worth the shit compared to, you know, cause I didn't know anything about like tuning or anything like that. I was just like, man, these yeah. things aren't going to break or bend. So my, my father, he, he used aluminum back in the day with the recurves and then he shot fiberglass arrows. So they were made by, it was called glass shaft. So that was out way back then. And that's, I used aluminum for a little bit, but I used fiberglass for all the way up till the carbon came out. And it was, a, it was heavier, but you could shoot it and it, they don't bend. The only difference is you hit something hard, the ends would, because it's, it strands this way. So it would like, you know, like if you uh, blow a shotgun barrel up, it's plugged, frays that. that's how it would fray like that. But that's what we use. I mean, I, I shot probably five or six deer with the same arrow. It was so different than aluminum. They were heavy. And I remember when them Beeman's first come out, my father got a hold of one of them because he's cheap. He got a hold of one of them. He's like, let's test this arrow out. And I remember I was at, at 20 yards and I shot and I shot like eight inches higher. It's like, holy cow. It was so flat. Like this, you know, I didn't, back then you couldn't shoot from zero to, to 20 yards with one pin. That was like, wasn't, it was unheard of back then. You know, so it'd be literally you had a, a 10, 15, a 10, 12 yard pin and a 20 yard pin and a 30 yard pin, and a 35 yard pin. And it was all like that. Um, so this you were able to shoot from zero to like 22, 25 yards almost with one with one pin. And then we just started. I started shooting them carbon arrows. But yeah, that beamings were, it was like that small beam. And I remember mm-hmm. when they first come out, that was it. And then the, do you remember the first? The first mechanical brawhead, one of the first mechanical ones, I used them. It was called a punch cutter. Mm-mm. That one you'd hit, it had a tip. And as soon as you hit this little plunger and a tip, two blades would shoot out. And that was the big thing. Then right after that, rocket heads come out. 
If you remember the mini blasters and the buck blasters, mm-hmm. they had a rubber band. They were small. That was the next mechanical head that came out. I still shot Thunderheads, but I we would go up on these deer hunts up north where there's tons of deer in early season to test out different broadheads on because there's just so many of them. You get like four dopamets, you know. And you would test them out all the different broadheads. That'd be our thing. But I still hunted with the Thunderheads. Yeah, I remember the Spitfires like I think those were the first ones that I remember. They were like the three blade with the rubber band on the outside. And my uncle, who was like, he was one of these guys who like deer season was what like he filled his entire freezer for the whole year. Like everybody in his family had deer tags and doe permits. And like, there wasn't one, there wasn't a deer that was walking by that wasn't getting shot. And yep. he started using those and like he had a couple that like bounced off a deer that didn't like open or do what they were supposed to do. And it was like, in my family, that was like the lore of like, you can't use the Spitfire mechanicals cause they had just bounce off a deer, like your uncle Dave. Mm-hmm. And that, that was, it was like blasphemy, like the early, uh, mechanicals. Yeah. But I even shot razor razorbacks. Did you ever see razorbacks mm-hmm. back in the day? Mm-hmm. So I had razorback um fives and then the fours were bigger cut. So I had the fours and then the razorback threes came out after that and that was a little bit bigger cut. And I had to that's when Rambo was out. That's what Rambo <laughs> used in his movies. That were razorback fives that he was shooting with a bomb in it, you know. My dad was the four blade Rocky Mountain like Mm-hmm. Inch and a half, inch and three quarter cut, like just a giant four blade. I had one. Yeah. Yeah. I had one. It great out to 25 yards after that. The thing would just like a helicopter, but up to 20. I I use that as I would have that as my finishing head, like in the end, shoot coyotes or whatever. Or if you shoot a deer and you walk up on it, I would pull that big freaking four blade out. Huge. It's exactly the one I had. Mm-hmm. And I finished off a couple deer with them, you know. So when you're talking about that one pin, it got me thinking like down the the road, but like, remember like the one, the one pin, like tritium pin, it was like, Mm -hmm. at the time it was like 20 or 30 bucks just for the pin that you, like it's brass and you, I mean, guys will never understand like setting that up and like getting it like just right. And then like, because there was so much vibration on your bow, like, you know, a hundred shots later, it's an inch up or inch down. And you're like, Oh, come on. And then yep. it's wobbly in there. Or yep. the, the Cobra one where you had the, the nine volt battery, just like zip tied yeah. to, to the bracket. <laughs> to your boat, I had one. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of the coolest sites I had, my father gave me, it was a, a Spandell. Did you ever hear that? A Spandell. Mm-hmm. It was a range finding site. So you had your, you had a pin. And on the end of it was a glass ball and it had a nine volt battery and you hit it and at end, the very end of it, the ball would light up, but you didn't need the, the light on to shoot. You just put the, that end of the, of the pin on it. Then underneath it was a piece of, a little piece of like threaded rod underneath it. And there was a lever with two hit with a hinge. So you would pull back the bow and you can control this. So the two pins are like this, like this, is the one you shoot with this one down here is nothing. And so the deer's out there, I'd pull back and I'd squeeze a lever and bring these two. And once you get the top of the back bomb in the belly, that's the distance. And then you put that top pin on it. 
You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So as you get back farther, it's going to be narrower. You go top of the back, bottom of the belly, put that pin on. And that was a real uh, effective sight back in the day. It's the, like the, a the spandel. predecessor to like the easy V just like kind of, kind just, of just yeah, without a pin. Yeah. Yep. He had, my father still got the old, it was a range of Maddox. So you had a regular brass pins. But they had another row in front that had circles that were big, and they got smaller as they go down. You remember them sites back in the day? Mm -hmm. So it'd be a, 20 yards would be a big circle, 30 yards is smaller, next one smaller, smaller. So you'd pull back your bow, and you put that ring on the top of the back, bottom of the belly, whatever one fit. That was a yardage, yardage that you needed, and you use that pin. It picked the pin out for you. That's like range finders way back in the day. That's how they did it. That's crazy. I remember, like, the pendulum sites where, like, You'd set it here I, I had a you, killer. when you yep. move down and then it would adjust. But I had a Keller pendulum when they first come out. Um, that one was awesome. The only, the only downfall is you have to be like 12 or 15 feet above the deer. Uh, I had a deer come in, a, a buck come in up above me or below me. And it got behind me at like 15 yards. I shot and I shot like four feet over his back because it was bottom my pin out because you got to be above the deer. So that pin was shooting like it was 50 yards because the deer was above me. So, but you could lock that. After that, I would lock it. If I was on a hill, like if there was hills, like a deer could be above me, I would just lock it in place. And I had 20, 30, 40 on it. But yeah, that, that pendulum worked. I killed a lot of deer with that thing from zero to, to 40 yards. I mean, you just pull back and it, it calibrated the, the distance for you. So I guess with all of the, like equipment that you've been through and like all the things that you've hunted with got to see nowadays, what do you think is like the best innovation or like, what is it something that you're like, I can't believe we ever hunted without this or, or whatever. Uh, range finder. <laughs> I was one of the biggest things growing up in the range finders. You're just guessing, you know, I was good shooting on the ground. I didn't do a whole lot of shooting up in the tree when I was young. I mean, the first deer I shot at, I mean, he was probably 110, 120 inches. I shot four, four or five arrows at him. The last one I grazed the hair off his back, but I, I had a whole circle of arrows all around my tree. Couldn't judge the distance. I, I just kept shooting the distance. It arrows all over the place, you know? So that is, that's a big thing is a uh, range finder. Makes it, the clothes too, just the, the quality of clothing, being able to be quiet. You know, back then you want to be warm. That shit was noisy. I can't tell you how many times a deer's coming. I'm like this. It's like, <laughs> I can deer take off because they hear you drawing your bow because you got this, you're all bundled up or you can't even pull your bow back because I'd have, same thing, I have like a wool jacket on with a little camouflage over the top and you're trying to pull back. It's so, it's like, it makes you stiff, you know, you're, then your sleeve sticking out. So I'd have to have tape or something on my arm to, so my string don't hit it. There's so many, so many things now. It's, it's a, a hell of a lot easier to kill a deer. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's a lot more effective. One of the things is like goes to like, I don't know, for me, I was thinking about it earlier about, you know, my wife is like amazing. And like last year she told me, she's like, she's like, oh, you know, you should just go hunt and just go back to Ohio, go back here. Uh, you know, you should hunt, you know, she's like, I understand that there's only so many days. Like there's only so many days of bow season, but mm -hmm. when you talk about the clothes, like that's how she was brought up too. Like she never hunted, but anytime 
we look at anything that's like camouflage or whatever, she picks it up and she rubs it together. And she's like, ah, it's too loud. It's too loud. Like, like <laughs> yeah, oh, that's exactly. pretty nice. You know, like yeah. she, she knows. The first thing I do. <laughs> yep. First thing I do is I grab it and go, don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. I'm like, don't like it. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. A lot of stuff, a lot of so much cool things now. You know what I mean? And my wife's the same way. She, she, she allows me to hunt and that's my, like my, uh, you know, with PTSD and all that stuff and, you know, health problems and deaths in the family and my father and brother being gone. And that's the one thing that's, uh, it's like my outlet. You know what I mean? That's, that's me without that. I don't know where I'd be, who I'd be. You know what I mean? If I'd be drinking in the drugs or getting in trouble, I don't know, but that's my thing. And she knows that it's like my therapy, you know, it's my, non-medicated way of dealing with life is is shooting a bow or guns or hunting or just going in the outdoors so from a perspective of a guy who you said oh it's a lot easier to kill a deer nowadays and and all of that and you know there's a good chance that we're we're talking to people that have all of this stuff and they still haven't killed a deer. They haven't killed a buck or they haven't like moved up into the class of deer that they want to kill or haven't become the hunter that they have. Like how valuable do you think that those tough times were to allow you to get to where you're at today? It definitely. Yeah. It, it made me the hunter. I am, you know, um, my father taught me it the old way of hunting and the new way of hunting, two different, you know, two different styles. Back then, my father, he was a big, you know, scrapes and rubs. And we, we'd set over scrapes all the time. That was a big thing. And uh, we killed a lot of deer. You know, my father killed a lot of nice bucks, but did he kill 140s, 150s? No. You know what I mean? So it was a, they were, back then you're shooting the, 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 the first okay deer that comes by. But back then you didn't have trail cameras either. You didn't know what quality of deer you had in the woods, you know? So hundred inch deer comes by, you're shooting it. You don't know there's a 140 running around there. You have no idea what's coming in, you know? So that part is different, but the hunting style is still the same. I mean, you're still setting up. You're still not going through their bedding areas. Try and get as close to their bedding areas as you can, you know, early season. I don't really penetrate the woods that much. I go, I go 15, 20 yards in off the fields till I start seeing a lot of, you know, scrapes and rubs and they start seeking for does and then I'll move deeper in the timber. But I mean, everything's pretty much the same, but if you don't know, the biggest thing is you, you gotta be in the woods people, you know, I kill so many deer from 10 to 12 o'clock. I mean, most people are eight thirty nine o'clock. They're walking out of the woods. They're going, I don't, I don't see anything. There's no deer here. You know, they're not knowing how they're walking in. They're bumping them. They don't know where the deer bed. You know, once you start identifying, you know, where the deer bed, where they eat, um, that's a big part of it. It's going to help them a lot, you know, and a, a beginner hunter, um, and where to set up and how to set up and just getting in and out is a big thing too. You know, a lot of people don't know that, but you're not going to kill them unless you're in a, in a, in a stand, sit still, don't bring salami sandwiches and coffee and, you know, scent control is a big thing. Um, that's, that's. Probably one of the biggest things is the, is the scent control that I've, I felt changed a lot in, in the way I do it. Um, I mean, I don't even, I have my clothes in the back of my truck in a scent-free tote. I have clothes that I wear 
I don't drive or get in a vehicle or go in a store with any of my hunting clothes or my hunting boots. Like that's all puts on. As soon as I get back to my truck from the woods, I'm taking it all off. I have a mat, like a car mat I put down. I stand on. The only thing that's staying on me is my, my insulated underwear underneath. I mean, I strip right down on the side of the road and just change my clothes on and off and go in and out of the woods. Like them scent, you know, the ozone. I started using one last year. It did make it or not this two years ago I started. Um, but I made my own, you know, I got the big scent locker. Like I made my own. I think it cost me like 60 bucks for the whole thing. Same thing. I got an ozone generator um, off of Amazon. I bought a, um, a, um, it's a, a portable wardrobe, you know, like them, they pop up and you can put clothes in there, mm-hmm. the zippers and that's it. And I put that ozone thing in there. I zip it up and it's got a timer and I run it for, you know, 40 minutes, 45 minutes. But I take that too. And I do my truck. Plug, I put it in my truck. I run it for a half hour in the front with an extension cord out the window. Then I take it and I do the bed of my truck because I got a tunnel cover. I'll throw it in the bed of my truck, kill all the scent in there. Then I'll bring it back in the house, do my clothes in the morning. I mean, I even, even do my bags. You know the, the green duffel bags from the military? The Not the ones you put on your back, like the ones with handles. Yeah, I have C-bag. two of those. That's on my hunting clothes. So yeah, sea bag. So I got two of those and I even put them inside out in the ozone thing. So as soon as I wake up in the morning, I come downstairs, I take them out, put all the clothes in there, go in the back of my truck that's already been, had the scent killed. My tree stands are in there, kills all the scent in my saddle or stands or whatever I have in the back of my truck because I ran it in there the night before. And it did make a difference. It really did. It's weird because at first I'm smelling it. I'm like, it smells like a summer breeze. You know what I, you ever smell it? Mm-hmm. I'm like, dear, going to smell that. And I had it, the, I was in a tree the one day and I had deer come up. And they're like, I could tell they, they kind of winded me, not winded me, but they could tell something's up. And then they freaking looked up, they had their nose up. And it wasn't that they, a lot of people think they look up at you. It's they're smelling. And then they just see you as they're, they're, you know, testing the wind with their nose. I'm like, shit. So then the ozone thing came in that next day I used it. I went there, the same deer came. I thought, I'm like, they're going to smell me. I could smell this like spring breeze smell. Never same wind, same everything. Freaking deer come up. They even put their nose up. Nothing. I'm like, oh, I started using it, and I just had really good luck with it. I mean, I'm not going to spend five hundred dollars on one. <laughs> you know what I mean? But this thing works just like those. It cost me like I don't know, sixty, seventy bucks for everything. So I got a question for you on that. There's a couple of things. Like one, I think like there is there's a way to play the wind where you don't have to worry about that, right? And I think a lot of it, I think a lot of the scent control stuff comes down to confidence. And I think guys that are going through all of that trouble to become as scent free as they possibly can, or, you know, kill, you know, the foul odors are doing a lot of the other stuff, time in the woods, doing the scouting, getting in the right places. So I, I, I feel like you could possibly, you know, leave out some of that stuff and do the same amount of work and put yourself in the same position. Um, and I think that the, honestly, that's kind of like the, that's my thing that I keep saying about like John Eberhardt is I think, you know, he puts in so damn much work or, or has in the past that, you know, the, the scent control stuff just allows him to go out there with this mindset where I'm just going to kill one you know, wind doesn't matter, all that stuff, but he's already put in all the work to get there, to, to put himself in position. But one of the things that 
uh, I'm curious about is like a lot of people who hunt uh, large age class animals and stuff like that, they will be kind of like one and done. And you're saying that you went in, you know, got winded or had like the wrong wind and then had the same deer and the same setup that day. So what is your philosophy on that? Like why were you in a spot with the same wind where you got busted um, the day before? Like what was your thought process going into that? I only have so many spots, right? Here, I, I'm a weekend warrior. I might get out one day a week sometimes. Um, I only have, like I said, one or two spots. Listen, I've killed deer, the wind in my face, the wind in their face, you know, 150 inch deer, which is, doesn't sound big, but in New York, that's, uh, that's a big deer. And that consistently killed, killed deer, you know, 120 or better every year in New York, which is very hard here. You know, you go to Midwest, it's, it's totally different, but, uh, I don't really, I don't really give the wind. I, I, I can't, I don't have other places to go. I can't get in there. I'm not going to not hunt this week. You know what I mean? Um, I've just outsmarted them. I've shot them like that. You know, I don't bump them. Like them deer, they smelled me. They didn't run. They they looked up. They saw me kind of like this, and they kind of walked off. And they bed not far from there. And uh, I, I'm one of them believers that if you kick a, a big buck out of his bed, he's coming back there. You know, if he's, you know, five, six years old, four years old, he he's picked that bed in there for a reason. It, it worked, right? So if he scared his big buck, he survived. He knows that that's a good place to sit, right? So he's more than likely. I found he's going to come back around to that same spot, even though you jumped him there. He knows he's got the edge on everybody coming in from that spot, and he's going to sit there. He knows he's probably got jumped. You know how many times going there? Because I walked up there, and there's. 10, 15 beds in a circle. I mean, it looks like a UFO landed there. And that's all him just moving around, depending on the wind. But he's sitting there because he could see that trail coming in. So just, you know, I set up coming from the other way. But, you know, a lot of people think you jump a deer and that's it. It's over. I don't think so. But that's my experience. Um, I have a lot of high-pressured public land. But, you know, that's how it is there. So I guess then if you're out of state, like how is your, what is your thought process? Cause it's not a weekend warrior thing. I mean, obviously you only have, you know, you're going to put the odds in your favor and go to the place where you, you know, you feel the most confident, but you know, are, do you still not worry about the wind or anything like that? Oh, when I'm hunting out of state. Yeah. Um, cause I, I go to Ohio every year. Um, and I, I've killed, deer there every year on public land. Uh, it's a little different. I'm more, the first thing I look at when I'm hunting public is where everybody is. The first day I'll go drive and you see all the parking spots where everybody goes and I start looking and I'll pull up and I'll get out and look and see if there's boot prints or tire tracks or I might walk down a trail. If I find a candy wrapper or a boot print, I get back in my truck, <clears throat> drive down the road. If I see a whole bunch of people concentrating in this area, I figure out how can I get in the backside of it? Um, so there might be, it might be a mile from them, but you know, sometimes you find them mile in spots behind somebody that's like, uh, it's like private land back there. Nobody's back there. They pushed all these deer into this one concentrated area 
And that's what I hunt when, when I'm, when I'm out of state. So going in there, then I, I will have three, four different locations and yeah, depending on the wind, I'm still might hunt the same deer in the same spot, but I might, you know, pick a different tree on the other side of the bedding or something like that. But hmm. yeah, I, I do have different, it's different when I got a whole week off. That's a pretty good tip that I haven't really heard of is like trying to get in behind other guys. Um, what, uh, what is the terrain like that you're hunting down there? In where in Ohio or New yeah, York? Both. It's pretty much the same. Pretty much the same. It's, it's a lot of mountains. You know, it depends. Cause over here, it's, I hunt a lot of mountains. It's freaking rock cliffs and like the hunting public guys came uh last year they came up here you know how many deer they got you know how many deer they saw it's a whole different hunting method over here you know what i mean it's it's a lot tougher but i go back home you got some farmland some agriculture um and it's a lot of hardwoods uh the areas i hunt it's either hardwoods or pines um not many fields uh, a lot of creek bottoms ravines um you know hunting the lower thirds where the deer bed and stuff like that well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what are the features that you key in on that have given you the success, like uh, hunting the mountains like that? Um, a lot. I, I do a lot of kind of like saddles, like cutting these saddles. Um, we got two couple ridges or creeks that are coming in together, and it kind of opens up. You'll have the. It'll be really hilly on the left or right of you, but it it comes down to usually like a creek. And there'll be a good 20, 30 yards on each side of it. Kind of opens up a little bit. And that's where I always find a lot of scrapes because it's all hilly, right? So there's not many places for them to make scrapes and rubs on these, you know, big rock clips. Um, so they come down in these creek bottoms and that's where you find all the sign. And that's where I usually set up on and have really good luck there. Uh, I brought, you remember Andy Young? Mm-hmm. So Andy came, that's how I met Aaron. Um, we were on a different, um, it was a bunch of veterans and first responders, like, a Facebook, YouTube type thing. And, uh, that's how I met Aaron on there talking. And I had a guy pull out on a public land hunt and I said, Hey, I need somebody. Anybody want to go? And Aaron goes, I know somebody I can't go, but I know somebody. And he had Andy contact me. And then next thing you know, Andy came with, to me, with me in Ohio. And he hunted with me. That's how I met him. The first I saw, I actually physically met Andy before Aaron <clears throat> and we hunted and, uh, I killed a nice eight pointer. Um, so I was the only one in the group. There was five of us, only one in our group. And then, um, there was probably 40 people in the campgrounds. I'm the only one that got one in the entire campgrounds. Uh, it was a nice eight, but I figured him out. It was the last day, the very last day we were there. I shot that deer and I shot him. Same thing. All these, there was like four, there's two creeks that crossed and it was hills, all these hillsides. And I came out on this one hill and it kind of leveled out to this creek bed and there was scrapes all along the bottom. And I rattled that deer in that morning. He'd come off the hillside. I heard him coming down, cross the creek, cram up and, uh, and I shot him and go 50, 60 yards and was dead. <clears throat> so one of the things I've noticed hunting those areas like that is like access is interesting because a lot of times or like what I've seen, especially this last year is that you and the deer are using the same access, uh, 
at some point. Now, maybe not in the morning versus the evening or, or whatever, but as you're going into those areas, you, how you found the sign is generally going to be, you know, as the deer was laying it down and then you find like yeah. what you're looking for there. Um, how do you manage that? Cause you talked a lot about access both in and out. And then um, another thing that's tricky about those areas is the wind. So how are you setting up for like predominant wind and then the way that the wind swirls and comes down those um, drainages? <clears throat> I never really, I mean, I never really got into the whole, you know, your thermals dropping and all that stuff. I never like geeked out into it like that, that serious. Like, so I, I know where they bed. I know where they're coming from. I see the scrapes. Um, like I said, we don't really have a lot of trail cameras out there because we didn't go scout. I did all my, I do all my scouting on Onyx, you know, before I ever go there, I pick out 10, 15 spots and we get there. And then out of 10, 15, there's like, you know, three or four that are really good. You know, I see the scrapes, I see their foot track, their footprint in it. I can tell what way it came from. I start seeing rubs. I see what sides the trees or rubs are on, you know, the rubs are on. I know what direction he's coming from. And then all my spots are like that. And I don't know, I know what wind I need to come down into that spot. You know, this, this specific spot might be a, I need a, a West wind in order to access it. So it's not blowing into the bedding area. Um, the other spot might be an East wind. So there's, you know, a few spots I have, they'll have different wind. This one spot, instead of coming this way, if the wind was opposite, I'd come in from the other hill, come up over that side. I hunt the other side of the creek. Um, he's still coming up the, the gut, but I'd be on the other side of the creek. Uh, so that's kind of how I do it. And is your style uh, a lot of calling like that, rattling in, in there? Yeah, I, I, I call a lot. Um I, I call all the time. I'm kind of, you know, Steve shirt mm-hmm. ever hear of Steve shirt. Mm-hmm. He's a in Pennsylvania. So I hunted with him last year and uh, he kills giants and he doesn't say, I, I call a lot when a deer, when they're, when I see bucks chasing around, I mean, I'm grunting every, you know, 10 minutes, I'm doing a series of grunt in the can. Um, I rattle. I don't rattle as often as grunting, um, but I do rattle, you know, every hour I'll rattle and I killed, you know, most of my big bucks I rattled in in Ohio, especially in Ohio. I mean, it's a whole different. Every time I crack my antlers in Ohio, I mean, I get deer to come in. It might not be a shooter, but deer come in, they respond to, to call in there. It's crazy. Yeah. That's one thing I've, I've never had any success. I've never rattled in a single deer. I don't do it that often. And I guess I just feel like, I guess, what is your mentality behind it? Because for me, I always feel like, well, I've, I haven't been successful at it yet. So I must not know what I'm doing instead of yep. like, you know what I mean? I, I sit, it's, a lot of it has to do with the, I, I kind of like the terrain, like this spot I have in Ohio, it's all these creek beds and these hillsides with pines up. And I could just see where I'm like, man, deer bedding up on them tops of them hills. And, uh, but I'll, I'll call, you know, with a grunt in a can, I'll do that. And then like probably around, 8.30, if I haven't seen anything, I'm cracking antlers together. And usually um, I'll get one to respond. Uh, come, they usually come running right in. It sounds like a freight train coming, breaking trees and everything, you know. And I turn around. That's how I shot the one with Andy. That deer I rattled in, it was a nice eight-pointer. Okay. Yeah, like like I said. And now, like, 
after talking to you here, uh, we had uh, some buddies that were down in Ohio. Uh, I think they were the week after we were down there, and all four of them killed, and all four of them rattled in multiple bucks. And like where I was sitting, everything was so tight, like and thick, that I think it would have been in my best interest to do some like rattling. Cause it would have been like one of the scenarios where like the deer couldn't see me from afar. Like they would have to come to that bottom to check it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. the, the cuttings were, th- were so thick that if something was going to happen, that's where it would have happened, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it works. I mean, I don't even use, <laughs> I use I got antlers and stuff, but I use my that night and hail rattle pack. That's what I call most of my deer in was. You know what I'm talking about? The little wheel oh, spray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I use. I mean, I we, I was in Ohio one time. Um, I shot a deer on the first day. I went with my buddy, and we we're sitting there, and he had like a blind, and he had that black rack. And I said, oh, "Let me rattle." This is actually my father's, but the guy's like sixty. He had a crossbow. So I grabbed that antlers and I crack them together. And I've heard a lot of deer fight. I'm like, this doesn't even sound like it sounds too hollow to me. So I'm like, I don't know. I kept rattling with it. And I put that away. I dug through my pack. I grabbed my rattling pack. I start rattling it. Within five minutes, this 10-pointer comes running over the freaking hill. And there's a, a ravine on our left. And he's standing up over here. And we're right on the edge of this gut. And he couldn't shoot because he was trying to shoot over me. He couldn't see out the window. It was down in this dip. And I could see the deer. I mean, he was 160 inches right there. And I rattled that deer in the first five minutes of with that call. Then that deer goes. And then probably hour before dark, I grabbed that. I rattled another 10-pointer came in. He was out in this, like, clear cut. He never come close, but we didn't have a, a decoy. He came right out, was looking right down the path where we were and stood there for, like, 40 minutes just watching us. And was grunting and everything. He knew there was something up, but he came running out of the thicket and was looking at us. And that's that stupid little, you know, walking around with freaking antlers sticking out, falling down, tripping on them, impaling myself. But I, I, people might say different, but I mean, I've killed some nice deer with that little rattle pack. Hmm. It's funny. I think that's what I've got in my pack is that exact same thing, that little yeah, like right. circle, look, circle looking thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it works good. I mean, it, you're not gonna. It, it's not as loud as cracking antlers together, but I mean, it's effective. I I like it. I mean, I know a lot of other people that have killed, you know, one sixties, one seventies, rattle them in with that. I, know, so I must have got I a like defective it. one. <laughs> it's one to do it. You got and here's the thing too. A lot of people go, I've never, I've rattled it. Oh, does a scare deer away? But you got to have a mature deer in the in the area. You know what I mean? You can rattle in smaller bucks, but if there's a big buck, mature buck in there, he's around the area, he hears it, and it's the right time. I mean, he's coming to investigate, you know. At least that's my experience. Yes. When you said the, the crossbow and then you said the rattling, it reminded me, like, when we were in Ohio some, like, years ago, these old guys would go around and they'd set up, like, with the wind at their – or not the wind, but the with the sun at their back and mm-hmm. those – those hills and they'd have a guy up above them rattling and they have the yep. guy down lower the guy with yep. the, with a crossbow low and they'd they'd just rattle and they'd they'd wait you know like like what you're saying like 10 11 noon you know kind of like what we do for turkey hunting you know where you're you're out there 
yep. and the deer, the turkeys are out, you know, in the strut zones or whatever, and you, you call and you can strike one up and that's what those guys would do, but they'd have the sun. It, it'd have to be up over top of the mountain. So the deer was coming into the sun. They couldn't see real well. And yep. that was what they were, that's what they were trying to do. And they said they had some pretty good success with it. The biggest thing with a crossbow too, is they don't have to draw back. That's mm-hmm. a huge, just that part. You can hunt on the ground with them. I mean, I don't have one, but you can hunt on the ground with them. And that's the biggest advantage I see is you don't have to draw back. Think about how many times you were in the stand and a buck's walking to you and he walks right by, you can't draw your bow back. If I had a crossbow, there's, if there's dead, all I got to do is pull, take the safety off. You know what I mean? So that's, I think that's the only real benefit with them. Well, that was the problem that I had with the longbow this year is I just couldn't get drawn. Like I couldn't, there's two different, the, the first, the first time was like kind of my fault. Cause I, I had a really good setup and the deer didn't do exactly what I wanted, but that the limb kind of like what you're saying with the hand climber, the bow is so freaking long. And I was up against this tree and when I lifted it up to draw back, it got caught on this little vine and freaking yeah. deer pinned me. And then I can't, you know, just quick draw it back. I mean, like the, I, I'm trying to shoot something with this very primitive weapon. And then the next time, same deal. I'm, I'm right here. And the deer is like six yards away. Knows something's up, but <laughs> you know, I couldn't, I couldn't draw that extra 20 inches or whatever. And then the third one, I finally got up in a tree cause those two are on the ground and, same deal. Had the deer circle all the way around me and start coming in. And I'm set up with, you know, tons and tons of back cover the way that the deer came from. But they fed yeah. in a circle and now they're behind me and I'm trying to shoot and I got nothing. You know, it's just wide open right where they came from, like skyline, like a mother. Like nothing I can do. But yeah, to, you know, to your point with the crossbow, like just pull the trigger. Yeah. That's I, that. That's got to be the biggest advantage. One of the biggest advantages, other than you don't have to practice at all. I mean, you just sight it in, and then you can put it away and pick it up twenty years later. It's going to shoot the same spot. You what know. Do you, what do you mean? You can do that with your bow too. <laughs> yeah, but I can't. So you, you pick up my bow, right? If you pick up my bow, I bet you're probably not going to. You know, thirty yards, you ain't going to hit shit. You pick up a crossbow. If I had a crossbow sighted in, I guarantee you could pick it up and hit the target all the way out to sixty. You know what I mean? So that's one of the biggest things with it too. So, uh, from, from that standpoint, like, what is it that, cause I know you've uh, hunted with a gun. I've seen, you know, muzzleloader and all that stuff. Like hunting mm-hmm. is, is one thing, right? Like being out there, being in the woods, but what is it about like archery for you that like kind of moves the needle? Um, it's the adrenaline rush. You know what I mean? When you shoot a deer and you hear that. I guess you could hear the arrow, you know, hit the deer. It's a lot more personal. Um, I like to make my own arrows. I set up my own bow. So it's it's pretty similar to a rifle guy that loads his own bullets and everything, I guess. But it's just, um, I don't know, getting in that close to a deer. And I, it's that my adrenaline, when I shoot a deer with a bow, is so I get excited with a gun. Don't get me wrong, but not like with the bow. You know, I shoot a big buck with a bow with with a gun, and I'm like, yeah, I got I got a nice buck, and oh, it's I came in and I put the crossers on him and shot him. But the story with the bow, I'm like, oh, this freaking deer came in, I drew on it twice. You know, it's, it's just a whole different storyline, I guess. You know, experience 
um, with the archery equipment than with, with the gun. I don't know. I feel, I just excites me more. I feel, I, no, I, I completely agree with you. I feel, I feel conflicted sometimes, you know, cause we, we handicap ourselves so much. Um, cause it's like, Oh, you know, uh, kind of like what we were talking about, like, uh, earlier before we got on the podcast where everybody's like, uh, you know, well, if I would have done that, I would have been way better or like whatever. So I, I think about like how many, yeah. how many deer, every deer that I've seen with a, with a bow, basically I could kill. Um, and it, it just brings me back to like, I was hunting in the UP like years ago. And I don't think I'd killed a buck with my bow and this freaking, you know, big four point comes in and you know i'm jacked everything's i mean i'm shaking and this deer is like 16 yards maybe but there's this big like white pine tree and so you know big branches big needles and this deer just keeps like it's almost like he's just staying right underneath it where i can't shoot him and he walked you know probably eight yards you know right past me right right where we were set up, you know, it was, it, everything was perfect. And I couldn't kill that deer. I couldn't shoot him. I couldn't, I couldn't make a shot. I couldn't, and it's just like the most best frustrating, you know, that deer would certainly be dead with a rifle. You know, I wouldn't even have to think about it. And how many scenarios has, has that happened? And like those times where you see those like great bucks and you, took the hair off of them right like or Mm -hmm. you know you misjudge the range like all these different scenarios where like the arrow's going right for him and then right underneath you know or right over his back and like i don't know I, i feel like sometimes if it was just about the killing like we're really robbing ourselves but every one of those things like we talked about earlier to the point is all those hardships like make it so much better when you are successful or make those things like that much more meaningful where it's not like you go out, you get in the blind, you fire up the heater, you know, you set your coffee down and you open the window and you watch the deer out there in the field walk by and like, uh, you know, is that Dave or is that tiny? Oh, there's splits, you know, like (laughs) exactly. You know, I can't even hunt. It's so hard for me to hunt deer in a blind. I don't feel like I'm, I don't know. It just feels weird. I got to be in a tree stand or a saddle or on the ground without a blind. Like I sit in them blinds. I, like I'll turkey hunt out of one. I bring youth, you know, for youth hunters, I bring youth hunters out, you know, turkey hunting. And we sit in a blind a lot. And it's just like, it just doesn't feel like I'm hunting. It's so weird. I want to feel the weather. I want to, you know, I want to be up in that tree. So I guess maybe because that's, you know, the norm. It's what I, what I did. And it's like face paint. Do you have to paint your face? No, but you know what I do because I'll paint my face and it's because that's what I did with my dad. You know, back then everybody painted their face way back in the, you know, eighties, everybody was doing it and I still will go do it. Sometimes I don't, but a lot of times I'm sitting there, I'll, I'll paint my face cause it just puts me in that place and the memories of my father and my brother and stuff like that are gone. You know, it kind of brings that memories back. Um, and it looks cool, you know, it looks cool in the photos, but, uh, you know, that's the only reason why I do it. Do you have to do it? No, you don't have to do it. When you, uh, 
roll into the gas station afterwards and you don't remember that you have face paint on and you're like, <laughs> come back, get in the car and you're like, oh, Jesus. Dude, here's a funny story. <clears throat> so I went, when I went hunting with Shirk this year up in the, the uh, Allegheny National Forest, like freaking three miles in, dude, it was crazy. It's a two hour walk in, two hour walk out. So I come out and I go, oh, I got to run. There's no cell phone service anywhere. It's so dangerous, right? The camp, no, you can't talk to anybody. They have a house phone, a landline at the camp. Um, so I couldn't contact anybody because nobody was at the camp yet. So I left the woods and I went into town because I wanted to get gas. I go down into town, get out of my truck, pump the gas. I go to get back in and my door handle's not open. I go, fuck, my, my key fob is in my pocket. But my key, I'm like, where's my key fob? I had to have it on me because my truck started, right? It's not a, you don't need a key. I look, it's in my console. It's sitting there. I took it out of my pocket, set it down, but you can't lock the keys in the car anymore, right? It's freaking locked. I can't get in there. I can see my key and my cell phone's in there. <laughs> I'm standing there, camo, paint on. This is Halloween, right? So all these people are coming to get beer and shit at this gas station. <laughs> so I walk in. I'm like, hey, my, so th- what happened was the battery died in my fob because it was so cold that night. So I go, I go in there. I said, Hey, to the, to the manager, can you call? I need to get triple a, um, told my daughter, like, all right, call them. I go, well, my phone's in my truck. So they call for me and they're like, it's going to be like probably an hour. So I look and there was like a part store right across the road. I run over there and get a battery for my fob so I could change it. Right. And I'm sitting in this gas station like this. Everybody's like, and people come up and go, you going to the party? <laughs> they thought I was dressed up for Halloween. Like college students are like, hey, you going to the big party down the road? I'm like, no, man, I'm hunting. They're like, oh, you're like two different, two or three people that asked me that. So now it's like two hours I'm gone. I get in my truck and I see a missed call from, from Steve Shirk. I call him back. He's like, hey, everybody's worried about you. I told him the whole story. Everybody's like getting ready to go in the woods and look for me. But yeah, I had my face paint on while I was in the gas station. Everybody thought I was going to a party. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of that like nostalgia thing of like face paint. Like, I don't know. I've killed deer with face paint. I've killed deer without face paint. I've killed deer yeah. camo, not in camo. And it, I, I just think it's part of like, what you do right so like you exactly. you get to the tree you do all the stuff you get finally set up and then i get my little compact out and i smear it around yep. and then it, it's ingrained for me from like the marines like when i see people with these like silly paint jobs or like where they put so much time into it i'm like it's not doing anything like no you, know, you no. still got shine no. on your nose you still got freaking you know uh shadows in your eyes like fix it yeah like you can break up as much as you want to but you still look like a human you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's just a just the the you know that's what you did for so long you know and it just brings back the like i said i don't do it all the time but sometimes i sit there and get like you know you start thinking i start thinking about my dad and my brother and stuff like that and i was just like put the freaking face paint on in my mirror you know truck mirror before i go out or whatever and yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's little things like I still have, like I have certain pairs of underwear for hunting and socks and undershirts. Like these are my good luck things. And, you know, literally like, like these are the underwear I killed my big buck. I, I have a pair of underwear. I killed my three biggest bucks. In. 
I swear. It's just, does it mean anything? No, but that's just, you know, the old fairy tales and why stories. And Yeah, I go back and forth about that. Like, I've got, like, what I would say, like, oh, this is my lucky hat. You know, I killed a bunch of deer in this this hat, but... I don't know. I don't put, I don't put that much stock in it. Like, I'm like, ah, you know, it's, it's just a hat, but like, like the one buck that I killed that I, I, you know, right when we first started the podcast and I mean, I was wearing this stinky ass hat. I was in a freaking wool sweater from Goodwill I was so sweaty and nasty and gross. Like, from, like, a scent control standpoint, like, I might as well have just, like, changed the oil in my car and got up in the tree and it was just the the right time of year, the right, you know, no face paint. Like, I didn't even, it was a a ball cap. Not even, like, my ears weren't covered. Like, my head wasn't covered. Like, I just look like a freaking like dirt bag up in the tree and you know it was it was effective but that same stinky ass hat like I feel like when like you know when the season isn't really going right for you when you're like not seeing anything or and like nothing's going your way I've changed it up I'll pull that hat out every once in a while and be like all right well here we go yeah you know Hey, it's not going to hurt anything. <laughs> no, not that. Anything with face paint. Do you need to do it? No, but it's not going to hurt. If anything, it might be better. Who who knows? You know, same thing with the hat or the underwear, whatever you, you know, your good luck stuff is. It's not going to hurt having it. So, so it kind of goes back to that, like, scent control thing, right? Like, I, I feel like that's, like, a good luck charm. It's just... Cause I I just don't see, like I just don't see you going to Ohio and everything that you've uh, outlined. You know, I, I understand the only having so many uh, like weekends or days to hunt at home, and you only got so many spots. And there's a good deer in there, and there's always going to be a chance that you're going to get winded no matter what. So you might as well go in there. Uh, on a bad wind and put all the odds in your favor. But at the same time, like I just don't see you in Ohio going like, well, that's where I need to be. But the wind is blowing the exact wrong way. I'm going to go, I, you know, I got this ozone closet thing. I'm going to, I'm going to risk it. I just don't see you doing that. You know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It could help. It might not help. I just know that it does take this, this, the smell away. You know, because I put things in there, like, this stinks. I put it in there, it comes out, it doesn't smell anything like it. You know, so, I mean, it can't hurt. That's my biggest thing. And that's the thing. You always want to try and get that little, if it gives me an edge, you know what I mean? It's like, why not try it? You know, it's not going to hurt. If anything, it's going to help, you know. I mean, that's what we they use in houses to reserve to remove the smell of mold and, and smoke. And your house could be burnt down. He's, my buddy's got a fire flood restoration center. Like this could be all burned down, redo it. And he still smell the, the soot and they run them generators. It's gone. The scent is, the smell of that is gone. It's crazy how it works. I mean, you could up your odds with a spotlight. I mean, can't hurt, right? <laughs> as long as we're being legal, right? Yeah. But yeah. You know, but yeah, you know, you can kill, 
kill them with that. I'm still, a, you know, that's the thing I tell people, like, I'm still a hunter. Don't get me wrong. You know what I mean? Do I like killing big deer? Yeah. But I'm still a, I'm still a hunter. I'm going to try. I go, I go after the biggest deer I have in, in my woods. It doesn't mean if I go out to Ohio and I'm on my last day and a basket eight comes by that's 90 inches, guess what? I'm fucking shooting it. <laughs> that's, I didn't go all the way out there, spend hundreds of dollars, time away from my friends. I'm coming back with a deer. You know what I mean? That's just me. It's, you know, some people are like, oh, that's you got to let them grow. I get it, you know, but it's it's public land out there. They're shooting everything. Um, but I'm coming back with something. You know, it's like gun season. Gun season comes. I'm kinda, I kind of I kind of get depressed. I'm like, oh, gun season tomorrow. You know, I'm still going out with my gun to shoot a deer. Don't get me wrong. Could I take my bow? Yeah. I'm like, no, just, we got high powered rifles in the woods. Everybody's shooting all around me. I got there's eight guys that hunt around me that are morons, you know. Like I'm taking my rifle, but it's kind of depressing. I, I know if I could shoot at 200 yards, hit my pinky nail with my rifle. You know what I mean? Like if a deer, if I see a deer in the woods, I could shoot him in the eyeball. You know what I mean? So it's just not, I don't get as excited, but I do know if I see that bug, he's dead. He comes by today, like he's dead, but I just don't get as excited at gun season. When I was younger, I used to love it. I'm like, oh, it's gun season. But back then it was shotgun. Nobody had scopes. It was all plain beads. It was a whole different. You shot. You shot five times. There was, you know, there was no just one shot at a deer back then. You would hear 15, 20 shots coming through the woods before a deer ever got to you. So was it was it always rifle where you are, or was it ever shotgun? Uh, so, um, there's we in Michigan. There's a rifle line, right? So below the rifle line is the shotgun zone. And that's where most of the agriculture is and all that. So it's like a safety thing. But then as soon as you get north of the rifle line, then it's all rifles. And now our shotgun zone is the limited rifle, you know, straight walled. So that's where you get your, um, you know, 350 legend, 450 Bushmaster, um, that, that sort of stuff is legal. Um, but but yeah, it's always been for me rifle. I I have hunted, I think a couple of, a handful of times with a shotgun, but I've never shot a deer with a shotgun. I've never shot at a deer with a shotgun. I've never I've, I've killed yes. two deer with a muzzleloader, I think. Yeah, we start off as only shotgun. There's been rifle, but you go north in the Adirondacks, way up in the mountains. That's rifle zone. It's northern zone, and then southern zone from there down is all was all shotgun only until like it was maybe two thousand. Let's see, six, five, something like that. They started opening up rifle everywhere. Um, yeah, and then it started going to rifle. But there's nothing like shooting with a shotgun. There's so many good memories. You know, I I killed my first deer when I was nine. Back then, a father could take a kid out with a shotgun, small game hunting, right? Nobody nobody questioned anything back then. We just take kid, game one, nobody cared, you know? And we'd get there, I had bird shot in, and he shot a 20-gauge slug gun. And I had a single-shot 20-gauge, and we shot slugs out of it. I know where it shot. And we get there, and he's like, take that bird shot out, put this slug in. And we're sitting there, and uh, we're on this hillside of this private farm. There's a swamp. And you can hear people putting on a deer drive. You start hearing them howling and barking. 
way down, you know, probably a half a mile from us. He goes, you hear that? That's the morons. He goes, doing freaking deer drives. They don't shoot anything. They all come up here. He goes, within, he goes, mark my words, within 10 minutes, there's going to be deer coming up here because this is like safety. We're sitting like this side by side in stools behind us, right next to this big oak tree. And also he goes, here they come. And I look up and like 10 deer come running out of the swamp and just hit the hardwood and just stop. And they're all just looking around. And he picks up and there's an, I remember there was a nice eight pointer. He shoots, boom, that deer just falls, goes to get up. He shoots it again. And he looks at me, he's going, shoot, shoot. I don't, there's so many deer. I don't know one to shoot. So I'm like, they're all does. There was only one buck. So I'm like, all right, well, this is the closest one. Pull the hammer back. I shot. And I don't remember if I hit, I couldn't tell if I hit it or not. You know, he goes, you hit it. I'm like, I did. He goes, yeah. I go, let's go get your deer. He goes, don't worry about my deer. Let's go get yours. And they gave me his gun that I shot all the time. And we're tracking the blood and he's telling me what to do. And he goes, you got it. You know, you see the blood and keep scanning up and look around. So I remember coming up like this. And I look up and the doe, big doe, she's dead, bedded right on the edge of this huge ravine. It's like a big gut that goes down. She's right on the edge of it under a pine tree. I go to him, I see it. He goes, shoot it. He's standing right behind me. I go, all I see is her head. He goes, shoot it. It goes down that ravine. We're not getting it. So I remember leaning against a tree and I shot it right, right in the head with his gun. I was, I was nine years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah let's let's kind of end on this with the all the history that you've had hunting and like with your family and 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 all that how do you feel like social media has changed like the hunting culture or like the feeling around uh you know the the buck pole cuz you can remember i'm sure like i'm sure in your dad's sports shop or whatever there was the the bragging wall where there was pictures up there where guys would put you know the deer that they shot and now and and that was usually deer in your area and if there was like a really big deer someone killed a deer in Kansas or something that was like oh that one's from Kansas but these are the deer over here you know what I mean and, uh, yeah, yeah. and, and so how do you feel like social media has changed like the I don't know the the self-esteem part of of hunting you know it's, you know, it's, it's tough. I think it's tough for the newer people starting out. Um, cause now they, they, they're, they're setting these standards. Like you, you got to kill 150, you know? And so they're kind of like, especially with the kids, you know, they're getting, get kind of getting spoiled right off the bat, I guess, you know, my, my daughter this year is the first year she could hunt, uh, legally in, in New York. Uh, like last year she could hunt Turkey in Ohio, um, because she wasn't old enough, but this year she hunt in New York. But when she hunts deer this year, um, she's shooting the first, you know, she's not going to shoot a fawn, but if a doe comes out or a spike comes out or a four pointer comes out, you know, that's what she's shooting. I'm not going to have her shoot. You know, if a big one comes out, don't get me wrong. She's going to shoot it, but we're not passing all these deer um, for my kid to shoot a, you know, a one forty. It's just not happening. I, I just think they should earn their way up, you know, the stepping stones. Um, get that under your belt, teach them the ways. And so that's what I'm doing. Um, it's, it does shame a lot, it, but it is good for the, the, the people that have been doing it for a long time. Kind of, you have, you get goals to set, you know, now I'm like, all right, I've never scored a deer before. You know what I mean? Till recently, till the last few years, I started scoring my deer to put them. I got a few deer in the, the record books in New York. Um, but 
it never meant anything. And the only reason why I, I did that, like I, I said, you know, I'm in a Pope and Young club and stuff is because it's something for my, for my kids, I guess, you know, when I'm dead, you know, my grandkids, they could go, Oh, look, here's, you know, grandpa or great grandpa. Look what he did. You know, he's, he's in this, you know, this record book with Fred bear and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So that's the only reason why I do the scoring part of it, but it does get out of hand. Uh, a lot of people, you know, beat their chest because they're in the Midwest and they shoot a, you know, they shoot a 170 and you're, you know, Pennsylvania, New York, and you shoot a, a 130. They look down on you. Like they don't have any idea. Like there's no ones, there's, there's not many 170s running around here. How are you going to kill one if there's none in the area? You know what I mean? So that part of it with social media kind of sucks because you see people, you know, shitting on other people. What'd you shoot that for? You know what I mean? And it's, so it's got as good and it's bad, but for the young people, I think they should teach them the right way. You know, don't trophy hunt right off the bat. You know, teach them the right way of of how how to harvest a deer. You know what I mean? And then you work your way up to it. You kind of set goals. You know, so they don't lose their interest. You know, I think I know a lot of kids that, that parents brought them and they shot a a one forty or a one fifty, and then the kid became a teenager. They don't hunt no more. They never know only two deer they ever killed. Because it's all they're looking for, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, for, from a a kid's standpoint, I think that's one aspect of it. But what I run into a, a lot, I think, is, you know, older guys or or adult onset hunters who think that what they see on Instagram or what gets highlighted is like what you have to do. And it's like guys like yourself, you know, I was going through getting uh, photos for this podcast, looking at like, you know, pictures of you and your dad. And, you know, I don't know if it's your grandpa or your brother with, you know, old like tiny wheel bows and aluminum arrows and all that stuff. And you just don't get most people, I guess, just don't get to walk out in the woods and then like, well, I'm going to let that six pointer go i'm gonna let that four point go uh i don't want to shoot any does because they bring in the bucks so you know i'm i'm waiting for you know at least a hundred inch deer you know or something like that and mm-hmm. it just doesn't work out that way and I, it, it sounded like from what you were saying like your dad is a lot like uh or was a lot like frank is where right now frank will he'll he'll get into like a knock down drag out argument with you he gets pissed when we're like we're right we're trying to hunt a bigger age class buck now like that's what our goal is and Mm -hmm. he's like well what's wrong with the way that i've been hunting you know he's like i've killed piles and piles of deer but he he hunted exactly the way that your your dad did you know like he hunts over these scrapes and buck comes in it's got a rack it's it's dead you know, and it isn't, it's more of a, a bird in the hand thing. And I understand, I, I love the not having the trail camera thing out there. I love being surprised by like the deer that comes in and then making the decision. And like, for me, it usually ends up like, as I look back, I don't like, I probably should have shot that deer. I probably should have shot that deer. Um, but it just didn't get me excited. Like what I wanted, you know? Yeah. And if, yeah. And that's the thing is like, if the deer gets you excited, then shoot it. And for, I mean, Frank shoots everything that he can, 
you know, and <laughs> <Down> is down. <laughs> yeah. But well, like, I mean, he's past deer, but like he's yeah. going through a, a dry spell, like he'll shoot one, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it makes him excited. But I think that that goes back to like that time where you wanted to have a deer in the back of your pickup truck. You wanted to have a picture up on the board and waiting for something that you didn't know existed, kind of like to your point, was, you know, it just didn't make any sense. And, you know, to Frank, it still doesn't make sense. And he's like, I'm killing deer. You know, I've killed more deer hunting my way, you know, and it's like, well, you never really killed a big one. And he's like, but I've killed (laughs) thousands of them, you know? So that's kind of where I think guys are, are losing the, they're losing that from social media, you know? Yeah. Oh, people will be like, you get anything this year? And then they'll, you know, I show them pictures like, Oh yeah, I've killed. I haven't seen anything. There's no big bucks where I am. And I killed piles of deer. I killed piles. Of deer. And you look at it there, you know, there's six pointers and four pointers and there is a one over maybe 80 inches, but that's, you know, that's how they're, they shot. I kill a lot of deer. Yeah. But you don't kill, you know, never killed one that was over two and a half really. But, uh, you know, so it's, Tanisha's own, you know what I mean? You well, can't can't fix some of the old time. <laughs> well, and I think that there's nothing wrong with that, and I think that there, like there isn't. Like uh, you, you have to get to a point where like that isn't what you want to kill anymore. And if right. you never get to that point, then who cares? You know, but you can't. Uh, I feel like if you're not in the business of killing big deer, like if if you've never seen a big one, if you've never drawn back on one, if you've never been around deer like that, then it's probably not like you can have goals. That's, that's fine, but it's going to be like in something you can appreciate. I, I feel like guys who consistently kill deer on a regular basis, like on public land, or they can go out of state and do it. Yep is the same to me as like someone who can play an instrument or someone who has um, uh, a black belt in whatever discipline, because it shows that you're like dedicated to something like nobody hands you, uh, you can't just go buy a, a black belt from one of these schools. You can't just walk into a guitar store and they give you a guitar that plays itself or a piano or a violin or something like that. You have to like hone that craft and that skill. You have to have, you know, sucked at it and got your ass kicked and have all the calluses and all the things to, to go with it. And I think that that deer hunting is the same thing, except for you can go buy a big deer and you can go, lease a place and you can you can do that but it's the like i say the guys that that have moved up to that level to do that on a regular basis that that gains me just as much respect as the black belt or whatever and it's like do you have a a a black belt in deer hunting you know are you first chair in 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 deer hunting right (laughs) you know i i I tell i never like shame on people for shooting small deer. Uh, I got, I bring people hunting with me, uh, my buddies and I said, shoot whatever. I don't care. It's, 
Honestly, if a four pointer comes out, shoot it. And they'll, they'll tell me like, Oh, the six pointer came. I go, why don't you shoot it? They go, well, that you don't shoot it. I'm like, don't face yourself on me. I don't care what you shoot. I, I'm just as happy if they, they get a deer than if I get a deer, you know what I mean? I don't ever shit on people for that. Um, there's guys in our archery club that talk and they're like, Oh, they'll, they'll kill anything but four pointers and six pointers. And, but on the next breath, they're saying there's no big deer in their woods at all. There's big deer don't come here. Well, I, antler restriction and age thing is a, is a big thing going on right now in, in New York. Um, some counties are passing where you got to have three on one side and so many people are against it. Who should, why should you tell me what I could shoot or what I can't shoot? But then people that are killing them spike horns and four pointers are saying they're meat hunters. Um, you know, well, how, if you kill something a year and a half, how's it going to be two and a half? I don't understand. It makes no sense, but that's why you don't have any big deer. You got to start passing. If you nothing wrong with shooting them, but then on the next breath, don't complain that you don't have any big deer in your woods because you're killing them a year and a half old. You know what I mean? Well, I, I say it a lot. Of, it's like a broken record, but you know, comparison is a thief of joy and the amount of like smiles that you get from you know tracking a deer from my my buddy josh and it's funny he reminds me a lot of you or you of him because he's gonna go out and kill you know he's a great hunter and he's gonna go out and kill two bucks every year in michigan and he wants to kill him with his bow but as soon as it turns gun season he's like all right well now, now it's the easy season. Yeah. Uh, it's not, he's not, he's not taking his bow, uh, during gun season, but it, it's like for as many people who haven't ever went on a track, who haven't, um, like got to experience that hunting as a group or, you know, ah, the, the, the joy that comes with like going out and getting a deer with somebody with, with your buddy, like seeing them harvest their deer. It doesn't matter like how big it was. You remember the recovery, you remember, you know, dr the drag out, you remember all that stuff. And you're not like, I guess I've never been with someone who was like happy about the deer they shot and been like, yeah, you should have gave him another year or something like that. Like it just doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. No. You right. Know. You know, all my, my biggest deer, all my biggest deer, I killed, you know, by myself. I do probably 90% of the hunting by myself just because my, I have friends that'll start out hunting with me because I'll sit, you know, sometimes dark to dark. I'm, I'm going out there. I hunt where I hunt. It's probably about, it's about an hour and 20 minute drive. So I drive all that. Sometimes I'll drive back at night and I'll drive back in the morning if I have stuff going on at night, but I, I'm going out there. I'm, I'm hunting. I'm not going out to have fun. Yeah, I'm having fun, but I'm not, you know, we're not going to go get coffee and have breakfast and go have a long lunch and then just go back in for an hour. Like we're hunting, we're going after deer and you're not, it's not just like off the side of the road. Like we're walking up that mountain with tree stands on our backs usually, or we got to cross this swamp or whatever. And they, they lose interest really fast. They'll go a couple times and then, then kind of, you know, that's it. So I do a lot, a lot by myself, but when you shoot that big buck by yourself, it's not the same. You know, I remember shooting my first, my first Pope and Young, I was all by myself and I'm, you're like, yeah, you know, and I'm like, all right, you know, uh, you can't high five anybody. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Now, when I shoot deer, 
I, I literally, I've shot deer. I call, I go through a list of friends and I'm like, what are you doing? Nothing. You want to come? I won't even track the deer. I know it's dead. I heard it crash and I'll wait till my buddy comes because that experience is so much better than when it's by yourself. By yourself is cool, but then it's, you, you, there's, yeah, you know what I mean? When you're with your buddy, you're, you're like, yeah, you know, I think you, did you ever watch that deer recover me where I was like, <laughs> I come down and I was like, look at that motherfucker. I'm going nuts to my buddy. Like that's how it is. But when you're by yourself, it's, it's totally different. Yep. Yep. You know what I mean? And I'm very energized. Like I'm that kind of guy. Like I get amped up. I'm the, you know, I'm the hype guy, you know? So when that happens, I'm like, if you shoot one, I go with you. We're going to be like, yeah, baby, let's go. You know? But when you're by yourself, it's, it's not the same. So ever since I shot that one by myself, now when I shoot a big one, I, I call somebody like, what are you doing? You want to come down? And I get, always get somebody to come and it's a, a blast, you know, and good memories, you know? Well, and, and uh, I, I kind of got like sidetracked there. That's what, you know, with Josh, what, what he said is like, you know, when you shoot one and it's like, it's like, it's kind of over, like everything mm -hmm. that we've been doing this for the, the, everything is like, now the work begins and it's not the fun part anymore. Like you've, you've kind of got done with that cat and mouse, but this one right here, that one, I was out there on a Wednesday, Thursday morning, like by myself, Frank and Ernie had killed two deer in the spot, uh, like five days earlier. I was just going out there to hunt. It wasn't like, I had no expectations. I didn't know that that deer was there. They didn't see that deer. Super early season. They're on their way out of town. I'm there by myself. And then that deer walks in. It's the only deer I, uh, I saw spike. Saw that deer for maybe two minutes. And then he was dead. And then it was like, well, now what? Those guys are gone. I'm out here by myself. So I ended up calling John and he came out and, and helped me uh, recover it, but it was like, so like anticlimactic, like it wasn't going back and getting everybody and like rallying mm -hmm. the troops. Like our Patreon hunt this year was so cool because there were guys that had never tracked a deer. There was guys that never had a deer camp. There's the guys that never had any of that stuff. And like, until you're in a situation like that, like, even if you're the first one back at camp and you're waiting. So it, it just, you know, your story yeah. with the face paint, like those guys were probably waiting. Like at the end, they got worried, but they're like, oh, Jeremy shot something. I know he did. Like we're just waiting. Yeah. They're waiting. I bet, you, you know? I bet you. Yeah. Everybody's making bets and shit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because like until everybody gets back to camp, like the hunt's not over, you know, like you, we could still be tracking. Like, and then you, yeah, yep. and if back from those nostalgic days, like whether you fired up the old Coleman lanterns or you got all the lights or, you, you know, like at our mm -hmm. deer camp in the UP, like there's this old homemade trailer with dirt bike wheels. And it's like, we're going to, we're hooking up the trailer and, you know, who gets to ride in the trailer out there and then who gets to ride back in the trailer with the deer, you know? Yeah. And it, it's, there's just something to that you know being a part of a group and the big ones are great and you drink more beer i think with the big ones but it's always fun like 
this little deer uh, here, I killed, and uh, I killed that on the same day as my two other brothers killed deer, and I'd missed a bigger one in the morning, and then they both killed in the morning, and we'd never killed deer in 30 years all on the same day with rifles or anything, and my one brother, he doesn't shoot anything like with a bow. I think he's killed maybe three deer with a bow, maybe, and so I shot that one to to kill on the same day as my brothers and the recovery was the worst my brother he doesn't like like to track he likes to track deer but he's not as adventurous as my other brother and i are and we were in the worst spot possible for recovering a deer and that's what he'll remember he he'll be like oh yeah it was that six point but it doesn't really matter what what the deer was it's the it's that memory of going and getting it right all killing on the same day that like you can't take away and you you'll never have those experiences if you're not you know making the shots shooting deer right because yeah, all, big, the big camp thing that's kind of gone you know that kind of you don't see that much anymore the big hunting camps you know i used to look forward as a kid i can't i can't wait to go you know all the I'm with my dad and his friends, all the guys I looked up to and I'm this little kid. And they're like, you know, there was a lake. We stayed at his friend's cabin. There's a lake out there in the dark, you know, 3.30 in the morning to give me a, a pot, a coffee pot to run down to the water. And I'm on the dock scooping up water so they could go boil it to make coffee in the morning. Like those are the, those are the things, you know, and you're hunting and you didn't see anything. You're like, shit, I didn't see anything, but you're excited to get back to the camp. To see who got something, you know, you're excited. Now, when you don't hunt that camp, I don't see anything. It's kind of, oh, you just go home, it's over with. You don't have that excitement of going back to the camp and hearing the stories of what'd you see? What'd you see? Oh, so and so got one. Let's go. We go, let's go get the same, like you said, the old Coleman lanterns and stuff. And let's go and get the, get the toilet paper that we can leave down on the ground when we keep finding blood, you know. That, that kind of stuff is kind of gone now. It sucks, you know. Well, I mean, we're we're doing everything we can to to bring it back. You know, Kevin uh, from the Deer Hunter podcast, he had one, um, you know, with a bunch of, you know, companies and, and you know, famous guys. And uh, we did it with the listeners. So, I mean, that's that awesome. to me is like yeah. the guys that that support our show. Like it was it lightning in a bottle like to to catch it again this year is going to be really something um to have the energy and everything that we did but uh really really looking forward to it that was probably the highlight of the season last year and you know we got to get you to come so yeah i definitely you know <laughs> i want to for sure you're, you're just the other side of the you guys are far away. <laughs> hey, we had we had guys from Michigan or uh, from Michigan from from New York, Texas, um, Rhode Island. So, I mean, they can swing through and scoop yeah. you up. You know, there's there's got to <laughs> yeah, be some scoop me up. Let's go. There's got to be some fugitives <laughs> or something over here for you to chase, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it would be fun, man. That's and I'm a ball buster. Like I'd shot a rabbit before and drug it and hit it and come back and everybody thinking that, you know, 
I shot this big buck and it's a freaking rabbit. <laughs> I've done that before. I've, I've shot, you know, a big buck and I had everybody convinced it was a spike horn. You know, I shot this freaking spike and, you know, we come across it like, holy shit, you know, that's the kind of stuff. I, I miss that stuff. You know, I love it. I shot one one time. I, I, my buddy's father just started bow hunting and um, I walked up to him. It was, in, it was like 11 o'clock. I said, hey, take your stand down. I'm going to move you to another spot. So I'm going to go check this scrape. And then we're going to go for lunch. So I leave, I go check the scrape and I had a scrape opened up and I was putting sand in there and they're tearing it apart. And I walk in there and I jump some deer and I go over the bank and they don't really, they didn't really know what I was. So I got on my knees, I take the can call out and I'm turning the can call and I can hear him walking like just over the bank from me. And all of a sudden I hear like a turkey up on a hill and I turn around and I look up where the turkey was and there's this freaking eight pointer coming down the hill. He came all the way down the hill comes out on a logging road and he's making a scrape and I'm on my knees and I hit the range finder like this and it was 52 yards. And uh, I dial my sight down to 52. I pull back, I step out, I shoot, I hit him right behind his shoulder and he falls right down. He's trying to get up and down. And uh, I run over and the deer was laying. I couldn't really get up. And you know, they say you can't shoot a rage with the blades open. The deer was 10 yards. I, <laughs> I pulled the arrow out of the ground, banged it on my leg. I pulled the bags. I don't want to waste another uh, brow head. I shot him right behind the shoulder again. and He died. I walked out. I saw my buddy. He goes, what are you doing? I go, I just shot a deer. He goes, no, you didn't. He goes, you were only in there for like two minutes. I go, I'm telling you, look, I got an arrow missing. So I go, don't tell Don. So we get all the way to the truck. We take our stuff off. Um, my, our, my buddy's father comes in. He's like, okay, boys, let's go get lunch. We'll go get him after lunch. And he starts truck. I go, wait, where are we going? He goes, we're going to get lunch. I go, we got to go get my deer. What are you talking about? He laughs. I'm like, no, I'm serious. We got to go get my deer. I shot a deer. He goes, you didn't shoot no deer. I'm telling you, I shot a deer. I had to take my bow out of the back and show him I had an arrow missing. I go, I'm telling you, I shot a deer right after I left you. So then we went back. Like, them were the kind of jokes. Like, that's the stuff I miss. You know, when we're so many times I shoot a deer and I'll walk out to the truck and not say anything because I'm going to go change my clothes anyways and put my shittier boots on and go get them. And then they're like, let's go to lunch. I'm like, hey, we're going to go get my deer. We got to go get the deer. They're like, what? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'll give you the details. We'll, 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 we'll see if we can find you a ride. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, man, sure. this, is, this has been a ton of fun. And uh, are you coming back up, uh, to Michigan to the Mobile Hunting Expo this year? Or? No, I can't. It's too, I had too much stuff going on. That's, just for a couple of days. I mean, next year they're going to have it in Pennsylvania. So I'm hundred percent going that, to that one. That's going to be a good one. Now you're going to see some of the Northeast people. Okay. Some Northeast hunters doing, you know, some, some, you know, talking and uh, stuff like that at that show. So yeah, I can't go. Th- I know I got some friends that are going to one and what in um, Tennessee, Nashville, right. Or yeah. Tennessee or t- Tennessee or something. I got some friends going to, I got some friends going to one you're going to on your, your neck of the woods. But yeah, I mean, Ohio was, wasn't bad. Cause that was, you know, it was only eight hours for me. So but yeah, definitely. I can't, I can't wait to the next one. You know, good time. You, where are you hunting this year? Are you going anywhere? So I'm waiting to hear where the latitude guys are hunting, um, to try and fit it into my schedule. Um, I think John is going, if he gets his house done, he's going to Colorado, uh, elk hunting. And I just don't think I can swing that because I, I, you need a, a couple of weeks. I'm going to have, I got the first two weeks of November off 
Um, and I only work a handful of days, so I'm probably going to work less than 10 days in November. Um, so I don't really know. Uh, I'm planning on Ohio for sure. Um, where we went last year, I may hunt Indiana, but I would like, I got, I was just going to ask you about it. I got a place in Indiana. Yeah. A guy just gave me, um, it's public land. How many people know he's, he sent, gave me the coordinates and stuff. It's only a few miles from his house, dude. Well, we'll Dan Infall probably hunts there. We'll, like it's, we'll, it's, it looks like that. We'll, we'll talk after this, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yeah. but yeah. Um, so I think maybe Indiana, cause it's not terribly far from me. Um, but my brother during that same time frame, he goes out to South Dakota and I've been trying to weasel in onto that hunt and people are getting squeezed out of his hunt. The, the, the public land that they hunt is kind of getting like overrun with these outfitters and these, mm-hmm. there's yep. no, no access. They won't let you recover your deer. So it's not becoming a great, um, experience for them. But at the same time, I, I look at it as like, I've never been out there. I've never done any spot and stock. So it's like, whether it's the, the Marines, you know, like back in the day, everything was tougher. Uh, the hunting was always better, like everything, you know, so I don't know what I don't know, you know, like, I don't know what I'm missing, uh, how great it is. And I mean, my brother missed a, he's missed two booners out there. Um, you know, spot. Is that what? Muley's over there too, or is that South Dakota? It's a, yeah, South Dakota. It's a, it's a either or tag. Um, okay. So I don't know. They, but they go like the second week in November. So I may do that. Um, but that's, that's really what's, what's on the list. I wouldn't mind doing an early season hunt somewhere like a velvet hunt, but we'll, we'll just see. Like, it's just a matter of like logistics. Right. Right. So, and it, it's kind of like the camp thing. Like, I'm not just going to go out to North Dakota or somewhere like that for a late August hunt and go by myself, not knowing anything. Um, right. So we'll see. What do you got going? Well, I was supposed to go to, uh, Kansas this year, but the guys that I, last year I put in and there was five of us, three of three people drew a tag. Two people didn't. So this year I talked to them and they're, they're only putting in for preference points this year so they could all go together next year. So now I was planning on going there. So now I got a spot in Indiana I could go. You know, I like Ohio. I can hunt both states, actually. I mean, I go through Ohio to get there and to come back. You know what I mean? So I could do two states at, at one time. But Indiana is a place I've been for the last couple of years really been eyeballing. Um, some of the big deer that come there and especially the public land and it doesn't get as pressured as other States. Um, and they got some big deer and I just happened to meet a guy and he's from there and he kills, they kill some monster freaking bucks. I mean, big ones. So, yeah, I mean, and it's public land. It doesn't cost nothing. That's a cool thing, you know, but right now it's just me. That's the thing. I can't, my friends, they'll, who's getting a divorce or who doesn't have money or whatever. So I'm always doing this stuff by myself, you know? Well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk after this, but, uh, you know, happy to be following along. Where can people like follow along with your hunts and, and see what you're doing? 
Um, well, you go on in- Instagram. I'm on Instagram. My first name, Jeremy Cabaretta. Um, and I'm on Facebook. You know, I don't have my real name. It's J Alpha on there because of my job. I don't like people just, you know, because Facebook is a very, a lot of people, you know, parolees go on there and they can search you and your family. So that's why my name is what it is on there. Um, it used to be my normal name, but then I changed it. But so, but I hope there's no criminals watching. Don't look <laughs> me up. I'm just kidding. But no, so uh, yeah, you can find me on there. J Alpha is what it is. But yeah, I'm going to, you know, some stuff on YouTube. I'm going to do a lot of filming this year. I'm going to try to, I want to try and document my whole hunting season this year, whole deer season. I'm going to try and do like every day I go out, you know, film it, edit it a little bit, and it'll be pretty cool. So you're know, like, this is why I started doing it, like my kids, you know, like when I'm gone, I wish I had videos and movies of my father or my brother, you know what I mean? So that's the only reason why I do it. Not to be famous, not to how my chest is just so it's something that could pass on, you know, photos only last so long. They get ripped, shredded, lost. Once it's on the internet, it's it's on there. You know what I mean? So that's the only reason why I really do it. And that's why I love it. And then I meet people, you know, I beat, you know, goofballs like you, you know, <laughs> we go to these shows and right. it's fun to start doing some some podcasts and meeting so many great people. Um, something I always wanted to do, you know, I always wanted to go to like the ATA show. My father had a shop. I was, dad, let's go. I'm not freaking spending money to go there and see a bunch of retards, you know, not walking the guys on TV. I want to go see them you know, old school. And I always wanted to go. And uh, so now I'm able to go through my buddy's got, and I see it right back there. You got the Elvis stack light right mm-hmm. behind you. Um, so that's why I go with and work with, with Steve and them. I'm good friends with him. Um, I got, he, he used to shoot with me. He was a big competitive shooter. Like that kid could shoot. Like he used to go to all the world shoots and, IBO this and that. And I was a real good shooter. I worked in the archer shop and he used to come in uh, right at 2009, right? I got in the military. I was working in archer shop and he would come in there, and that's where I met him. And then he designed that light in a freaking basement in Albany, New York. Best light on the market. That is the best light. Yeah, H well, Pierce. Look how many shoots she's winning with that thing. Yeah. We'll have to get him on here. Um, I'm really excited about that light. It, it, it solved a lot of problems that I was having um, with like the light issues. And uh, yeah, so we'll have to do that. Jeremy is actually, if, if uh, I don't know, I saw it like somewhere, like officially, like it was like he, Jeremy's the hype man for uh, Elvis. That's Tech. my job. Yeah. <laughs> he has me. My job title is the director of hype. That's what it is on the business card and everything. <laughs> well, <laughs> because while we're at the show, I'm just Lee and Tiffany are getting one. Like Lee and Tiffany came. They looked at it and picked one up. Hannah Barron and her father called her over. They looked at it. Hannah Barron and her father got them. Um, Corey Anderson from the UFC, he came. Like I'm approaching these people. Hey, come over here. Look at this light. You know, so that's why they gave me the director hype. They're like, well, how does it work? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not an engineer or anything. I just, I'm like the model. I kill shit with all this stuff, but he'll tell you all about it. And I give them to Steve. And Steve's that, you know, he geeks out on that stuff, you know. Well, awesome. We'll have to get them on the on the podcast here coming up. And uh, Jeremy and I will be at the HHA shoot uh, coming up here yep. in end of end of April. April, right? April. Yep. Yeah. So we'll we'll get that. But like, hey, thanks for coming on here and 
you know thank you buddy. talking about I appreciate it. always a good, always a good time this time we weren't drinking together right so it was a little different but yeah and, and <laughs> you know i mean he's in that big room there you can't really see how short he is so it's like and, i'm five eight i'm yeah. average motherfucker. what are you talking about <laughs> compared to what like the, the midwest everything's bigger in the midwest right <laughs> right <laughs> all right bud all right man thank you <laughs>